Good morning. We are so glad that you can be with us, you at home, and that are joining us online for this brand new sermon series here at Central Church. There are four very important words. I'm sorry you're forgiven. Those are the four most important words that we're going to focus on. Part of being human is sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You've heard that verse a hundred times. Because of sin, we are bound to hurt others. Because of sin, others are bound to hurt us. And sin hurts. It hurts the, the sinner. We know that, right? It hurts our relationship with God Almighty. Of course it does. God hates sin. God has nothing to do with sin. God, God won't tolerate sin. So, of course, sinful behavior, sinful words, sinful actions are going to hurt our relationship with God. It just makes sense. But simply having our vertical relationship with God damaged, it also damages our horizontal relationships with each other. Sin hurts others. Sin has ripple effects. It doesn't just affect a singular person. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. It will, it will keep you there longer than you wanted to stay. It will cost you more than you wanted to pay. And it will affect more people than I could ever say. Sin hurts. That's sin. And after sin, after that behavior, after that thoughtlessness, after that action that we've taken, if we can't get around to, I'm sorry, you're forgiven, then we will never experience lasting joy. If we lack the ability to say, I'm sorry, then life will be immeasurably more difficult than it needs to be. And if we can't bring ourselves to ever say, you're forgiven, then we will be doomed to a life of bitterness and anger and, and darkness, pain. There's a group of psalms called the Penitent Psalms, and one of them is Psalm 32. Let me read it for you. It says this, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Yahoo! My sins are forgiven. That's how it begins. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But here's what I want you to hear. Verse 3, before our sins are forgiven. When I kept silent, before forgiven, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Though my groaning all day long, through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then, finally, why did that come to my senses? Then, finally, 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 I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess. Spoiler alert, that's where we're headed this morning. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Can you relate? We've all been there. When I kept silent, it was like my bones were rotting away. When I was silent, it seemed like all my energy was spent. Why? Because the separation from God Almighty is awful, and sin is heavy, and the burden is hard. It's Adam and Eve in the garden. You remember their story. The Bible says, and then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the land and over the livestock and over the earth, over all the creations that move along the ground. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created the man and the female. He created them and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Let the fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and let every living creature that moves on the ground. Woohoo! It's Eden. It's perfect. Yahoo! It's wonderful. 
And, and God himself said in verse 31, he agreed. God saw all that he had made and it was not just, just good, it was very good. The sun is shining, the birds are singing, life is good, the, the, the flowers are smelling, the coffee is hot. Was there coffee in Eden? There had to be, it's paradise. It's wonderful, yahoo, it's perfect. But you know what happens, you know the story. Genesis 3 comes along, and the awful, horrible, very bad, no good thing with Adam and Eve. They had this awesome relationship with God Almighty, this awesome vertical relationship, unbroken. Everything was perfect, no secrets, nothing hidden. And they, and, and they had this, not only the awesome vertical relationship, but an awesome horizontal relationship with one another. The Bible says they were naked and unafraid. It, it conveys the idea that everything was pure and right and open and honest and perfect. Everything was perfect. And then they did, you know the story, the one thing, the one thing God said don't do and then after where did Adam and Eve find themselves after verse 8 then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden God Almighty, they had had this awesome, wonderful, open relationship. But now, everything is different. The Bible says that God was walking through. It wasn't, it's not conveying that God needed to exercise. He wasn't getting his, his daily steps in. That's not what's happening here. It's conveying the idea that, that he and his creation had had this wonderful, glorious communication. They were together. Now he's walking. It used to be Adam and Eve were there with him. Now he's walking alone. And where are they? They're hiding in the bushes. Newsflash, you can't hide from God. He knows where you are. He knows what you've done. He knows where you've been. Sin, it separates us. It's so heavy, the burden is hard. You see, we can't get to, I'm sorry. That's the sermon series. Four most important words, I'm sorry. You're free. We can't get to, I'm sorry. Until we see ourselves, see our true self, not the hidden self, not the masquerading self, not the mask-wearing self, not the self we pretend to be. No, the real self, the inward self, the person we really are. We take a personal inventory. We own up to who we are and what we've done. There's a powerful story in Brendan Manning's book, uh, Ragamuffin Gospel. It's a book that came out years ago. Some of you have read it. And in that story, uh, Manning finds himself in an alcohol treatment center. He was dealing with his own demons of alcoholism. And he introduces a person that was in the treatment center with him named Max. Max was having trouble seeing himself for who he was. And as part of the treatment, the, the therapist um, had the group all sitting together and they put someone in the middle of the group and they would, the therapist, the counselor would ask them questions. Well, it's Max's turn to be in the, the center of the group. And Max went to great lengths to tell the other people who were there. Again, remember, this is an alcohol treatment center. This is a group for alcoholics. And Max was telling everyone how he really didn't have a problem with alcohol. He, he'd have a couple drinks at lunch. 
he'd have a couple drinks at dinner, and that was it. You know, that it really, it really wasn't that big of a deal. He really didn't understand why he was there. It was, he really didn't have a problem. And the counselor kept pushing and pushing and pushing, and Max kept denying and denying and denying. And finally, the counselor called his bartender at the bar he would frequent. And he said, hey, I'm sitting here with Max. Could you tell me a little bit about him? And, and the bartender said, oh, Max is a great guy. Max is a great, great guy. He comes in here and he drinks and drinks and he buys rounds for the house. Everybody loves Max. They said, well, does Max drink a lot? He goes, oh, yeah, Max drinks a lot. Max is sitting there in the middle of the circle. So the counselor asked him, he said, Max, uh, do you ever, tell, talk to us about your family. Do you, uh, do, do you ever um, have any issues with your family? He said, oh no, my family, they love me. I took my kids camping, they love me, they love me. And the, the counselor said, really, you don't remember a time, any time, uh, when, when you've done something you regret now, and things just didn't work out. Because every, you know, the counselor said, you know, every, every parent has those times when they have done something they regret. Do you have anything, any stories like that? And he goes, no. No, not that I can think of. I don't have any stories like that. So the counselor called his wife. Right there in the middle of the session. Put her on speakerphone. Everyone could hear. He said, hi. We're in a group therapy session. We've been talking to Max. And we've asked him if his drinking negatively affects the family. Can you, could, you, could you recall any time that that ever happened? And there was silence on the phone. For, for longer than an awkward pause, there was silence. And finally, Max's wife spoke. Yeah, I know a time. It's last Christmas Eve. Max took our youngest daughter, took her out shopping for shoes. And on the way home, it's three o'clock in the afternoon, he stopped by his bar to get a drink. It was only going to be a one drink. He left the car running and he locked the doors and he went in to get a drink. And one drink led to another, led to another. And at midnight, he went out to the car. And the gas had run out. And the windows were frosted. And her youngest daughter had frostbite so bad on two of her fingers that one had to be amputated. That's how Max's alcohol is affecting our family. The counselor hung up the phone. He got right in Max's face. He said, Max, you're a liar! I'm out running a, a rehab center for liars. You're a liar! And Max broke down. He couldn't, he couldn't deny it. It was there for everyone to see. How, how, how is it so difficult for us to look in the mirror and to see ourselves, not the pretend self we try to, to, to portray, but the real self? Too often we see what we want to see. We don't see who we really are. We want to believe the lies. We want to believe the pretend, but we don't want to look at who we really are deep and down inside. It's a story. Remember in the crucifixion story? There's a powerful moment with Peter after Peter has denied Jesus. And Peter hears the rooster crow, and Jesus told him exactly what's going to happen. He said, you, you know, you're going you're to deny me three times. The rooster's going to crow two times. And the Bible says this. 
Then Peter remembered the word of Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Look in the mirror, Peter. Look at who you've become, Peter. Not the, not the guy who two hours earlier said that you would never deny me. This is who you are, Peter. See, seeing ourselves, looking deep inside ourselves, sometimes it's so painful. We don't want to look at it. We don't want to see it. But we're never going to get to, I'm sorry, you're forgiven, until we see ourselves. Until we see our sin, our true self, our, how our actions, how our behaviors, how our words, how our attitudes have affected the people around us. We're never going to get there. Obviously, our sin affects our vertical relationship. Of course it does. But it affects our horizontal relationships, our marriage, our dealings with our kids, our dealings with our spouse, our dealings with our parents, our dealings with our friends. John describes what I'm talking about in 1 John chapter 1. He says this, This is the message you've heard from him and, de and, I and declare to you, God is light. In him is no darkness at all. God doesn't have anything to do with sin, period. Verse 6, If we claim that we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not live by the truth. If we pretend... We put on a happy face and act like everything is great when we know deep down everything is not great. When we refuse to look in the mirror and we pretend we do not live by the truth. Let me read on. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Again, let me stop. You would have thought that John would have said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God. We've, we've remedied this vertical relationship. We've made everything good between us and God. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then this vertical relationship is great. But that's not what John says. John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have, we have fellowship with one another. The key ingredient to our horizontal relationships is having a right vertical relationship. Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm saying? If we want to have, a, to get our good vertical relationship, our relationship with God, it's coming out of the bushes. Hello, Adam and Eve. It's looking in the mirror. This is me. This is the real me. And then it's living into those words of Psalm 32. I told you we'd get back here. I will confess. Then I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I will confess. John concurs with David's remedy. If we claim to be without sin, if we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we, for, if we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive. What a great verse. I love First John 9. I love it. I love it. Just go to Jesus. Run to Jesus. I've preached this hundreds of times. If you go to him, he'll forgive you of your sins. He'll make, he'll make you well. Just go to Jesus run to Jesus but I got another disclaimer I guess you know I gave you the first disclaimer the four most important words are not I'm sorry uh, uh, you're forgiven but Jesus Christ is Lord here's the second disclaimer this morning I hate to say it I don't know if I should say it I guess I will I've gone this far I think 1 John 1, 9 is easy. It may be too easy. Can I say that? I've preached this hundred times. I love this verse. But it's easy to confess to God. It's easy to tell Him all the terrible wrong things that we've done. It's easy, easy, easy to promise that we'll never do it again. Why? Because God can keep a secret. 
He doesn't blab all of your sins to everyone. He, he, he can keep a secret. He doesn't, he doesn't tell people what, 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 what your wrongdoings are. And God loves you, right? So you confess, I'll never, never do it again. And then the next day, guess what? You do it again, you confess. Hey, God is love. He's got to forgive me. He said he'd forgive me. God is love, 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 love. Just confess that same old sin a million times. Just confess. He has to forgive. Just confess. There's a problem with that type of thinking. It cheapens God's grace. Over and over again, the Bible tells us, do not test the Lord your God. It cheapens him. It, it toys with the mercy of God. If we continue to confess sins that we know, we, we know very well. We confess it to make ourselves feel a little better over here for a second. But we know very well the next day we're going to do the same exact thing. We confess it to feel a little better. Do the very same thing. Okay, God, I'm not going to do that. And we know we're going to do it. I'll do the first John 1, 9 thing. I'll confess, but I know I'm going back. It cheapens the grace of God. And that confession doesn't last or work. And we're not living into the confession. Does that make sense? By that I mean too often we say the words, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, God. But, but we're really not. And we're really not wanting to change. We're comfortable with where we're at. We're okay with, with this separation that happens and it's getting deeper, deeper, deeper. Because we don't, we don't want to really break the chain. We'll say it. We'll say confession. Boy, I'll say it now, you know. Keep me out of the bad place. Don't want to go there. And we continue to pretend and continue to wear a mask and we continue to act like everything is great when we know good and well everything is not great and it's a fake and a sham. We might feel a little better on the surface, but it's not really authentic. Maybe when I said First John 1, 9, is, maybe easy is the wrong word. Maybe, maybe the words I need to say, it's, it's, it stops too short. And that's where James can help us. Because James takes us a little farther. James says this, confess your sins to one another. Now that's a whole lot harder. <laughs> Confessing your sins to one another? Ah. God doesn't blab. Sometimes people blab, blab, blab. God doesn't break confidences. God doesn't gossip. God doesn't look down on you when you've made a, a confession. Sometimes people do. We all know that's true. So because of our fear of what people do, maybe we confess a little bit. We confess things that don't matter. We confess little things. Ah, I was going 60 and a 55. Ah, I stopped. Don't tell Carla. I stopped off at Dairy Queen. Got the little blizzard. Just, you know, don't tell Carla. Shh. She's here. I told her. Huh. We confess things that don't matter. When I worked at the... I, uh, uh, several years ago now, they asked me to speak at the Nazarene Publishing House uh, uh, chapel service. This was before the Nazarene Publishing House went belly up because of my book. You know, I wrote my book and it went belly up and uh, that was the end of the publishing house. But before that, they liked me and they asked me to come and speak at their chapel service, which I was honored to do because years ago, when I was in seminary, I was a uh, sanitation engineer. I was the cleanliness expert. I was the janitor. And um, so, so I cleaned the desks of the people that, that I was speaking to. And I, you know, was glad to be there. And so I confessed to them. 
I confessed my, my three great sins of, of being at the publishing house. I stole some of their candy that was on their desk. You know, if it was sitting there, they were gone, you know. I confess that I spent a little too much time playing wiffle ball on my breaks, probably went overtime playing wiffle ball in the, in the one uh, warehouse. And I confessed to them this bad, terrible, terrible thing. Um, for you to understand it, I had to tell you a little bit about the job. We would, there was a bookstore at the time, Nazarene Publishing House had a bookstore that was not connected to the building. It was a few miles away. And so it was always a great job to get when you were asked to clean the bookstore because you got to go, it was kind of like field trip. You would get in the, in the Nazarene Publishing House van and you'd go there and you'd clean the bookstore and you'd come back, but you'd probably stop at Wendy's and you'd get a little frosty or whatever. And it was fun, it was fun, it was fun. You were away from the bosses, it was great. Well, one time I went, even though I knew, I knew, one time I went and a co-worker who was renamed nameless because he's a Nazarene pastor too, um, his wife just had a baby. And he brought cigars, not candy cigars, not bubblegum cigars, cigar cigars. And so, so uh, I, you know, we were in the Nazarene Publishing House van, but we lit them up and we started smoking. These, that's the only time I've ever smoked anything in my life. And we were smoking these cigars on the way to the bookstore. And then we realized, ah, we're in the Nazarene Publishing House van. We're smoking cigars. It's full of cigar smoke. So we rolled, this winter time. We rolled the windows down. We tossed our cancer sticks out. We rolled them down. We thought for sure we were going to get fired the next day. You know, ah. I confess that at the, at the chapel service. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Uh, no one's going to hell because they smoke a cigar. Who cares? It's easy to confess things that don't matter. It's easy to confess things that, 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 uh, that are useless. It's hard to confess real things. Who we really are. Who we are when we take the mask off. Who we are when we, when we shed all of the masquerading and get down to our real self. That's, that's what matters. Our real struggles, our real hang-ups, our real temptations. Ah, but what will people think? What will people say? So instead we pretend. And we don't get real. And we don't get open and authentic and honest. And even though we've confessed to God, we've kind of, we fall back into the same patterns over and over and over and over and over again. And we never move beyond it. And you know what that is? It leaves us empty. It leaves us wanting something that we don't have. We long, don't we long, we long to be in this great relationship, vertical relationship with God. And we long to have authentic, real relationships with one another. But we don't get there. And the problem, okay, here's the problem. I didn't read all of James 5.16. James 5.16 says this, the whole thing. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So you need to pray and confess so that you'll be healed, so that you'll be whole, so that you'll be well, so that you'll be complete, so you will be healed. Isn't that what we want? We want this relationship with God Almighty. We're tired of being separated and with each passing sin, it's farther and farther apart. We're tired of not of being a fake and a phony and not having real, authentic relationships with people. And I get it. You know, you, you tell someone, you confess to somebody, 
you know, we've all been hurt by people who've blabbed or who've gossiped or who've done things. I get it. I understand. I get it. But we've got to find people that we can be accountable to. That's one of the good things about Celebrate Recovery where they, they sit in a group and they're accountable to one another. We've got to get to a place where we can be that type of community that says, you know what, when you fall, we're not going to cast stones. We're going to pick you up. When you struggle, we're not going to say, look at him. We're going to put our arm around you. When you're down, we're going to be there. And we're not going to cast stones, but we are going to pray for you. We are going to be accountable to one another. We are going to love you. Because we get it. As long as we're putting up masks and as long as we're hiding behind other things and we're pretending we're not real, we're not authentic. And there's no healing. So how do we move forward from here? Well, I don't know. I guess we could, you could tell me your sins and I can get Jordan. We put them all up on the big screens. Every, every one of your dirty, rotten sins. No, that's no good. I could, I could get a microphone. We could go through, I could go through the, the pews and you could, you know, vomit out all the terrible things. You know that. You at home, text us 1-800-Blabbermouth and we'll, you know, put it on social media. We can't do that. How about this? Could we start here? Could we look at the mirror and see who we really are? And once we get a good look at ourselves, not our pretend self, not our fake self, our real self, could we then go to God Almighty, get out of the bushes, say, God, here I am. You know me anyway. You know what's going on. You know my struggles anyway. I'm not telling you something I don't know. You don't know. Here I am, God. And I'm sick of playing these games and going over and over and over again, saying I'm sorry, doing it again, saying I'm sorry, doing it again. i got to stop that cycle. I need you. And then the next step will come in the next few days, maybe. It's finding someone. Maybe it's your spouse, even. Or maybe it's a dear, dear friend. Or maybe it's a pastor or a counselor that you can say, listen, I'm tired. I need someone that I can, that I can be honest and open with. Again, you've you got to be careful. Don't tell it to anybody. Don't tell it to, you know, tattletale Susie or whatever. It's, it's someone who looks a lot like Jesus, acts a lot like Jesus, who you can trust. And saying, here's where I'm at. This is my real self. Maybe I've never told this to anybody before. This is me. And I want to live for Jesus. And if you'll help me, I'll help you. And let's go together hand in hand and live for Jesus.